0: Well, it's an honor to be with you today. Uh, Pathways is, you're an incredible church. And uh, it's also a little intimidating uh, to be here today because I, you know, you, Adam, I just believe he's a really tremendous preacher and uh, he's a great thinker and a courageous leader. I sometimes watch his sermons just to learn, but also like, how do I get better at preaching? And he's had a lot of experience. I've got a lot of respect for Adam and I've got a lot of respect for this church church Uh, Adam, you know, I've only been a lead pastor for a couple of years, not even quite two. I've been in ministry a while, but as I got into this role, I had a lot of questions, and Pastor Adam has been more than willing at any point to try to help me understand, how do you do this role? He's been doing it for like 10 years. He's been such an asset to me. I'm so grateful for him, and I hope you guys know, I've known a lot of pastors. There's not a lot of guys with his Preaching and leadership and heart and passion. I know he loves you. You guys, there's not a lot like that. There's not a lot of people like Adam, and so you have a great, great leader in Adam. And I can't wait till he gets back up here. He's a special guy. Can I just also encourage you on how you're handling this situation as a church? You know, I there's a lot of ways this could go, and uh, I love to see the kind of grace and space you're given to this family to heal. Uh, I love how you're pouring into them. I love that you're given space to Adam to struggle even a little bit, because what it does for me as a pastor is it gives me hope that if I struggle, I don't get disqualified. You know how easy it is. minister I mean, you guys, past, just following Jesus is hard enough, but you add full-time ministry to it, and it's just, it's really hard. And so I, I just am so grateful for how this church is handling this situation. and I, And I really believe that The community is is watching, and we're going to learn from how you guys handle this and go through it. So let me give you another word of encouragement. As you go through this situation, as you're processing what's going on, I just want to ask that you, as as a member, as a part of this church, to stay rooted here, because this church is so important to the Fox Cities. There's not a lot of churches of this size that have had this kind of influence, and uh, if pathways were not to exist or not to be strong, that would be to the great detriment of our community because you as a church have poured in in ways that you don't, I, even, I don't even know if you understand. Hundreds of families have been cared for and discipled and walked through life because of you, not, not just the preaching or the, the leaders, but because of you as a body. Do you all know, right? A church isn't a building. It's a body of believers and you're a body of believers who have made a huge impact. And if have had one on me personally, and, and maybe some of you know this, but my, uh, my, my parents attend church here. And that my dad, uh, my mom's since passed away, but my dad, what he'll do is he'll come listen to me preach when I preach at Christ the Rock, but first he comes here to Pathways because <laughs> this is his church home. And I go, I totally support him in that because I know he's in good hands of Pathways. And so as a part of this church in this season, can I just ask you to seriously consider doubling down on your commitment to this church? Serve a little more, give a little more. Don't run anywhere. Don't go look at a different church. We need you here. So give a little more. I mean, serve, but really pray really hard for Pathways Church and what's going to happen because I believe that you're going to come out of this situation stronger than you went into it, and God's going to do incredible things in and through this, this church. I love this church. I'm a local guy, and I want to see the Fox Cities reach for Jesus. We're not going to do it if we just think of ourselves as one church. We have to work together. Churches, working with churches to reach this Fox Cities because people are so lost and we need the church to be strong, and I know, Pat, you're such a key part of that. So let me pray over you as I jump into this message, and then we'll open the Word of God. Father, I look out and I see, I see an army of people you've raised up in this church that are going to go into this community, Lord. And they're going to preach the word of God. They're going to make disciples. They're going to heal the hurting. They're going to bring the word of God to people who are hopeless. And I just pray that you help this church believe that you're going to walk them through the season and end up stronger than when they went into it. That you've got great plans for this church, for the people of this church. And we're going to work together, Lord, and that we are going to see this city reach for Jesus. Disciples making disciples. And this church is going to be part of it. So I thank you for these people, and I pray you anoint them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know you're here, Lord to dig in, to double down on their commitment and work at Pathways Church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I want to start with a question. And I just want you to ask the Spirit to bring something in mind for you when I ask this. Whatever it is, what is a situation that you've lost hope in or a promise that you struggle to believe? And Maybe that's a dream that has died, a relationship too far gone. Maybe it's an unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe... Maybe it's you think you're too far gone, that God can't save a wretch like you. What is what is a situation you've lost hope in or a, or a promise that you struggled to believe? Whatever God puts on your heart right now, I just want you to believe that God wants to speak a word of hope into that, no matter how far gone that thing is. And he wants us in the text today to wrestle with this question, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? And we can probably say out loud, no, our brains say, no, nothing's too hard for God, but our hearts struggle sometimes to believe it. If I'm honest, I can say, yeah, God, you can do anything. But in my heart, there's, there's situations I've lost hope in in life, or, I, or I'm starting to. And I just, I, the older I get, the more cynical I tend to feel and get. And, and I, I don't always look on situations as if they're going to get better. And maybe that's the situation that you find your life in, but I don't always know what to do with that. Well, God wants to speak a word of hope into that. And he's going to do it through a story about a miracle birth. But it's not the one you're thinking of. It's the birth of Isaac to Sarah and Abraham. Now, why would we look at that story? I know it's an odd scripture. If you want to follow along in your Bible, we'll be in Genesis 18. But at Christ the Rock Church, we're in a series this summer called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So we're looking at Genesis and the story of God working through very flawed people. The Bible is such an honest book. And so it writes about all these very flawed people. Abraham and Sarah are very flawed. They also do really great things. But the idea is that God is, if he can work through people like that to bring about his promises, well, maybe he can work with people like us too. And so we're looking at these stories. They're fascinating. There's so much you can learn from them. And so I want to talk about the birth of Isaac. But let me just go back in the stories just to give a little context of what's happening here. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God sets the Old Testament up with five separate covenants or promises the second covenant is to abraham and he says i'm going to give you a son and that son will will have children that will be more numerous than the stars and all the world will be blessed through your offspring and what he's talking about is jesus christ so thousands of years before jesus he said it's going to come through the line of abraham so abraham and Sarah are really excited they're they're like 75 and 65 years old so they're like maybe this could happen this story takes place 25 years after that promise And they're a little little hopeless that it's ever going to happen. And these these three messengers show up and they give them a prophecy, say it's going to happen. This is finally going to come to you. What I'd like to do is read this story. And I want us to pay attention to how Abraham and Sarah react to it. But especially Sarah, because there's a word for us in this that we can learn from it. So if you have your Bibles, I'll just read 1 through 15 in Genesis uh, chapter 18. And here's how the story goes. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. He saw them. He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down low to the ground. He said, "If I have found favor in your eyes, Lord. Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and be refreshed under this tree. Rest under here. Let me give you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant... Well, very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get get three seahawks of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant, who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some of the curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set them before him. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in a tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. It's after 25 years. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent. She's eavesdropping, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure of having a baby? Then the Lord said to Abraham, hey, why does Sarah laugh? and say, will will I really have a child now that I'm old? And here's the question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and says, "I I did not laugh. But he, the Lord, said, yes, you did laugh. Yes, you did. Now, what do we make of that story? Odd story from the Old Testament. I want you to think about Sarah and how she responded. But let's go back to the beginning of the story and and try to figure out what's happening here, okay? So three guys show up to a tent. The Hebrew word here is Lord, which is Yahweh. So the reader knows that this is God. Abraham doesn't. He just sees three people at the front of his tent, two angels and God. The two angels are going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but they just wanted to pop by and say, hey, a baby's coming to Abraham and Sarah. And so Abraham's like, all right, uh, Sarah, quick, let's get some food. He suspects this is somebody really special. He doesn't know. So they prepare this great feast. I have a little sketch here so you can kind of see what this looks like. And so underneath this tree, he stands. He doesn't sit with them, and he feeds these three special guests. And once they start eating, things get weird, as if it's not weird already. And they say, where is your wife, Sarah? And he says, in the tent behind me. You can see her there in the back peeking out. She's she's just hanging around, wants to figure out what's going on. And they say very specifically, you will have a son this time next year, and we will return. So how would somebody know that if they didn't have some level of foreknowledge? Abraham here, I think, starts to realize, this is, is this you, God? Because he knows the gender, the timing, that they will get pregnant, that it's going to happen, and that they're going to return. And so I think Abraham puts two and two together. He goes, this is a messenger from God talking about a promised child that will finally come to me. After 25 long years, God is going to deliver, and we're going to see a miracle. Now, I'm going to point out something that would be obvious maybe if it was closer to Christmas. There's a a New Testament parallel to the story, isn't there? There's some connections between Mary and Sarah. They have some things in common, these two ladies. They both have miracle children. They both have an, somebody come and announce this miracle birth to them. But they're very different women with very different situations. Right, Mary, if you remember her story, she's like she's a teenager. She's just young. She's her whole life in front of her. She, well, she's never been married. She's never been with a man. She's not lived much. Now Sarah, she's been around the block a little bit, hasn't she? Like she has been married. She has been with a man. She. No, She's tried very hard to have a baby, and and she's now kind of at the end of her life wondering, God, can you still work through someone like me? And then you get these people who come, and they say, you're going to have a baby. There's an announcement. And Mary's response is, listen to this. She's so full of hope and willingness. I love her response. She says, well, I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen as you say. Like, yay, all right. Like, can you imagine an angel says the Holy Spirit's going to impregnate you, and you're going to have a baby? She's like, sign me up. Yes, my whole life is in front of me. This will be great. Of course you're going to do that, right? Like the young people say, let's go. Well, good for you, Mary. Uh, Sarah's not so optimistic, right? So these guys come and she's 89 and she's like, I'm worn out. And all she can do is laugh. Like, ha, yeah, right. Like you're really going to do that, Lord. Now, I think in life we'd like to think we're more like Mary, aren't we? We like to think that we love those stories, but the reality of us as we get older is we're probably more like Sarah than we are like Mary. Like I said earlier, the older I get, the more pessimistic I get, and sometimes the promises of God, if I'm honest, seem out of touch with reality. Like that's a nice, it's churchy nice thing to say, but that's not for me, that's for somebody else. I know it's probably hard to hear a pastor say something like that, but it's honest. Let me explain a little bit. My experience anyway. Now I I had a I could kind of understand both perspectives here, not like I've ever been pregnant, but at least um I understand how you would feel with Mary and, and, and Sarah. Like when I was 21 years old, I had this guy prophesy over me. He said, You are gonna be in ministry one day, Joel, something like that. And I was like, oh, Well, that sounds awesome. Sign me up, Lord. You're gonna choose me. Oh, let it be as you say. Your servant is here. Like, all oh, holier than thou. Like, my whole life is in front of me. I can't wait. What are you going to do in and through my life, Lord? This is so exciting, right? Like a merry reaction. I've been in ministry for about 25 years now, either training or in ministry. Let's just say, I'm not as optimistic anymore, all right? Like, I. I there are times... When I drive by the golf course, I have to go by Reed Golf Course on the way to Christ the Rock, and I'll look out and I'll see some guy cutting grass. I go, Why don't you call me that? That sounds great. Like, you got to keep the grass that tall and no drama, and I bet the guy gets free golf, Lord. Why don't you call me to something like that? Because I don't get any free golf. And then I think about my own role and what it's like to be a, a pastor, all the pressure. All the expectations of having to stand up here in front of people and do this, but all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I think about all the other pastors in the world struggling. Adam's not the only one. All pastors all across, they're struggling. When they struggle, they just get out of ministry. I love what's happening here. He's healing. He's coming back into it, right? This is awesome. Which that's why I see you guys are doing so well. But I see so many struggling and fall out of ministry, and I just think about what it's been like for me. Just the past five or so years at Christ the Rock Church, we... I, some of you know this. We lost our founding pastor tragically, huge influence on my life. That was enough for me to go, "I don't think I want to be a lead pastor. <laughs> Get me out. I don't know how I ended up here. They talked me into it. But then I think about COVID. that happened a couple years after. I mean that was miserable. You could not make anybody happy here or anywhere. You couldn't be too left or too right or whatever you thought. You just couldn't get there. That was miserable. And at Christ Rock, we just went through this investigation thing, which for me was almost worse than all of it. And I asked God, like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, what are you doing? Why do I have to go through this? And that's just the last five years. I go, oh, this is so hard. Sometimes now I start thinking, Lord, I hope I just don't screw it up. I hope I can just get through this and maybe just end well. Could I be faithful to this calling? It's just, I know it's pessimistic, but it's, it's, it's honest as to how I feel at times. Now, there's a lot of hope there, but, oh, it's hard sometimes. I've got nothing on Sarah. Sarah got uprooted from her home 25 years before this moment. And Abraham said, hey, I got a call, honey, from God. We're going to Canaan, which is like Israel. Let's go. Gets there. Right away, there's a famine. Oh, we got to go to Egypt now. But hey, be my sister. Don't act like my wife so I don't get killed. That cool with you, honey? Cool. Okay, gets married off to Pharaoh in the harem of Pharaoh. Like, sweetie, what are you doing to me, right? Well, then Pharaoh finds out, deports them back home. They try for 10 years to have a baby and nothing. Imagine what it's like to be a wife of a promised child for 10 years, 120 months of nope, nope. So they try with this woman, Hagar. They have Ishmael. That's not the promised child. It's a terrible, sinful thing they do. And then 15 more years. And now, okay, now these guys show up. These three guys show up and they say, you're going to have a baby in a year. Oh, okay. All she can do is laugh at the preposterous notion that God could put a baby in an 89-year-old woman's womb. But it's a complicated laugh, isn't it? So let's talk about laughing at God for a minute here. You ever laugh at God? Do You ever laugh at God? I have. More than I probably would like to admit. And so have you probably. You might not realize it. And if you did, don't worry. It's okay. Because there's a lot of types of laughter, isn't there? There's the, like, it's funny laughter. There's the joyful laughter of, like, great things are happening. There's the the arrogant laughter of like, hey, I got this figured out. I'm pretty cool. And then there's the laughter of straight-up outright rebellion, laughing in the face of God. What kind of laughter is Sarah's laughter? What do you think that is? So it's not joy. It's not humor. This isn't funny, although she's laughing. She's not arrogant. She's not in rebellion of God here. So what kind of laughter is it? I love how this commentator Stan Mass puts it. He puts it like this. Sarah's laughing from a broken heart. It's a laughter of a broken heart. It's a laughter of cynicism, of a long life of disappointment that's taught her not to hope in miracles, not to hope in the promises of even God because, look, it's been too long. It's, I've seen too much. I, I just Those promises are for somebody else. I just don't believe it. It's not like she doesn't have any hope. It's just so small because of the nightmare of her life. She's been struggling so long. She's not a rebel, you see, She's a realist. That's what she thinks anyway. And that's what's behind a lot of our laughter, too. We're not rebels here, right? We're realists. Like it, it's, we laugh at times because the, the pain and the disappointment of life just, we see things not go well. We go, it's just, that's the way it's going to be for me, too. Like, I can't hope in things anymore. And so if you've lived long enough, you've had enough pain and disappointment in life and it's really hard sometimes to hope and promises, especially those ones you just go, that's not going to be for me. So how does God respond to that kind of laughing? What does God do when we laugh at him like that? Let's look at how he responds to Sarah and get a clue for this, right? So at verse 13, let me go back to it. It says this, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? He asked the question and then he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And he says, the Lord, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So what does he do? Just ask a question. Why, why, why did you laugh? Do you know? It's not like he doesn't know. He knows it's pain. He knows it's heartache, but he wants them to think about it. Why? Why did you laugh? Why do you think that's so funny? What's behind the laughter? Think about it. And then he says, kind of like, do you know who you're talking to? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to wrestle with it. That's not an arrogant thing by God again. That's a challenge, an invitation to trust me. Will you trust me? I am the Lord standing in front of you. Will you trust me? And he's asking them both to like wrestle with, can you put your trust in something greater than your disappointment and your experience and what's behind you? Will you trust that I have something in front of you? Can you put a little hope together for me? And then he doubles down on the promise and he says, I will be here next year and you will have a son. Doubles down on the promise. Now, Sarah, at this point, is like, oh, no, I am talking to God. She's got to get it at this point, because if you remember, she thought to herself. She's probably like, how do you know? Weird. Okay, um, so she answers out loud to her own thoughts, because she just got called out, and she says, I didn't laugh. Wasn't me. I didn't do it. She's just so exposed right now, so scared and frightened. And so what does God do now with liars who laugh at God? How do you think God should respond to someone who laughs and lies like that? Now it's fire and brimstone, isn't it? That's what should happen. This is what you would think. God is going to rain down fire on them. How dare you? No. That's what he's going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because they're not laughing the same way Sarah's laughing. They're outright rebellion, laughing in the face of God. Sarah's not an unbeliever like them. Sarah's laughing from a place of hurt and pain, and God knows that. So how does he respond to this lying, laugh, laughing woman? What does he do? He responds gently with grace and truth, the way he responds to all of us when we do this, gently with grace and truth. And so first with truth, he says, she goes, I didn't laugh, he says, yes, you did laugh. Now picture God saying that, not like, yeah, you did. You're busted. No, he, it's like this. No, you did. I Yes, you did laugh. And it's okay. Picture God smiling and almost chuckling with you, like, I see you, right? Like, what he's trying to say by this is like, I see you, and I hear you, and I know what you're going through, and I know the pain that you're in. Will you let me into it? It's okay that you feel this way. It's okay that you even chuckle like that. I I see you, I hear you, and I want you to bring all of that to me and trust me with it. You see, this, this is an invitation for us who don't believe that God can handle who we really are. Like, Why do we hide these things from God? See, God knows already that we struggle with faith and doubt. He knows that we can't let go of the past. He knows how pessimistic and small and shallow our faith can be at times. And he says, will you bring that to me? I want to know all of you. I don't want you to hide that from me. Can I just have the raw, real experience of you and just process that with you? And so he says, I want to handle all your cynicism, all your disbelief, just bring that to me. And so first he says, I'm going to be gentle truth. I'm going to say, I see you. Next he responds with gentle, incredible, inviting, generous grace. And that's what he does with Sarah. So this chapter ends just how I read it. Yes, you did laugh. Next thing we hear about Sarah is in chapter 21. And here's what happens. Listen to the grace of this one. Verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. There it is. As he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. There it is. Grace. Grace. Gave an impossible child in a miracle situation when all hope was lost and he delivers on it. And the name they chose for the baby is Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? Laughter. Ha! It's an inside joke between God and Sarah. Of Like, you laughed, didn't you? That's going to be the name of your kid. And I'm going to take that. This is the redemption of the laughter in the tent and taking that laughter of pessimism and turning it into a laughter of joy. I love it. God's such a sense of humor. He's so good. And what he's saying to her is, I I see you, I understand, and this is all based on God, not Sarah. The grace of God, the kindness, the truth was all the grace of God. had nothing to do with the attitude of Sarah. It was for his glory. God honored her cynical, small, little, tiny faith, and he wants us through the story to believe that he'll honor our small, tiny, cynical little faith when we bring it to him, no matter what we bring to him. So let's go back to that question that this text forces us to wrestle with. Is anything too hard for God? And that that is not in the Bible just for Sarah to wrestle with. If It's in the Word of God. It's meant for us to wrestle with. Is anything too hard for God? Now, I asked you earlier in the service, what is a situation that you've lost hope in? What's a promise you struggle to believe? What did God bring to your mind today? Is there something in the Bible you go, that's for others, that's not for me? Is there a relationship in your family, your life, where you think that cannot be healed? Is your marriage in a place? What is it? Do you feel like you're too far gone and you just go, I I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. What do I do? What this text and what I want to encourage you to do is can you muster a little bit of faith for whatever that situation is and begin to hope again? Because I promise you this, God is not done with you yet he wants to do something in it through that that situation that he put on your heart today i believe the spirit's moving he put something specific on your heart and he wants to answer those prayers today in your life okay i had to wrestle with this coming in to this particular message because there are things in my life situations relationships where i go i just don't know if god can deliver here and he said joel 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 is anything too hard for the lord And then he said to me, there's a situation in your life. He reminded me of this. I've already done the miraculous. I've already shown you that I can do this in your your life. And let me tell you that story. This is the one that came to mind for me. My mother or my grandmother passed away from Alzheimer's in the early 19 or 2000s. And it was miserable. That's a horrible, miserable disease. Anybody have to walk through that with anyone in their family or life? Right, you know the pain of this, right? That it just can tear families apart. It's so brutal, it's so difficult. And it was for us too. And so my my grandma had four kids. One was my mother, who was again part of this church. And we were a pretty close family. You know, we did we we knew each other, hung out, birthdays, Christmas, celebrated things. Well, when this thing hit, we started to kind of the the siblings wrestle with how do you care for mom? You know, like you do, who's gonna do what? And then that started to get tension. Kind of tense. And then it was, well, who's going to pay for that? And what about the estate? And what's handled here and there? And all of a sudden, by the time the whole thing was over, there were, there were all kinds of cover-ups and lies and misuse of funds and all kinds of crazy things that when the dust settled, it was just our family was broken apart. I mean, it was awful. All kinds of bitterness and resentment. And then really when it got down to it, two uncles wouldn't talk to one aunt. And I had an uncle move back to L.A. My aunt moved to Texas. We just didn't hang out much anymore. And it was just, I was like, how can this happen to a family? How can we see this kind of brokenness over these silly little seemingly things? But it was such a betrayal. And I started to pray, God, will you heal our family? Can you bring everybody back together? What what is this going to take? And so I started to talk to family members. I'd say, hey, are you willing to talk to so-and-so? And they're like, no, I don't want to. I don't want them in my life. I said, God, can we heal this? Can you bring redemption? Can you? reconciliation can it happen and all of a sudden it just seemed like nobody wanted to deal with it and our family just drifted apart it was awful 10 years go by still no it was 15 years ago that god did this miracle it was after 15 years it was actually 2018 it was right at christ the rock church like in row four like it was like right over here at our church and so my uncle from L.A. was in town. My aunt from Texas was in town. They, I don't think they knew they were each in town. My mom invites him to come to church at Christ the Rock. Bob Lenz was speaking. I was hosting. And so they wanted to see me. Thought, well, that's a great service. Come on out. Well, they both agree, and they show up. And they sit in the same spot, like in row three over here. And so I don't remember what was said at the service. I don't remember any of that stuff. But I do remember the Holy Spirit moved mightily in the life of my family. And so I got done with the service. I talked to a few people up front and I look over. Everyone's gone, but my family's sitting together in a chair. And I go sit down with them and I just, they're intensely talking. And I listen as my aunt says, Hey, I'm sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? My uncle said, "I, I am too. I'm sorry it's been so long. And my mom's in there. She probably had the most level head of everybody in it. But she said, I'm sorry, too. Can we put this behind us? Can we be a family again? And they all said, let's do that. They, they, they agreed to forgive and put it behind them. And I knew this was a holy moment. So I said, can I take a, can I take a picture? I mean, that's what we do now, right? So that's my mom there on the right. It's part of this church. And she, that's a look on her face of disbelief and joy and exhaustion and like, ah. Lord, you do answer prayers. And so she, that's her sister and like her best friend and she just kind of melted into the arms of her sister and they both leaned into the the, the strength of their big brother, Mike, and God had brought my family in ways back together. Four months later, my mom passed away. And I watched as God brought our family together and I saw those two, my aunt and uncle, hug and care for each other through that difficult season. God did a miracle in my family. And if God did a miracle in my family, why can't he do a miracle in your family? Why can't he heal a broken relationship in your life? If God put a baby in a 90-year-old woman's womb, why can't he do the impossible in your life? If God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, why couldn't he resurrect a dead dream in your life? Is anything impossible for God, church? No, it's not. And again, our heads will say, that's true. But our hearts will struggle with it. Our hearts will say, I'm not, look, I don't know. And so God wants us, I think, to end service, just do a little heart work with us today. Because I believe he wants to bring hope to your situation. So I want to give the final word to a desperate father in the Bible who has a life-changing experience with Jesus. The story is told in three different um, Gospels. And it's his father who has a son who's possessed by a demon, and he doesn't know what to do, and the disciples can't cast it out. So the father comes to Jesus desperate, says, this demon's trying to throw my son in the fire. Help me, Lord, if you can, if you can help, have pity on us, he says, begging Jesus to help him. And Jesus picks up immediately on the tepid faith of this father. And he says this, I love this line, If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. If you can. Yeah, everything is possible. It's the same statement question he gives to Sarah. Is anything impossible here? He wants us to wrestle with this same question. It's just the way the the man responds is what's so important here and so encouraging to me. The father says this, I do believe. Help Help me overcome my unbelief. You ever heard such an honest prayer? father admits, I believe, I do, but it's just this much. He's just honest. He just puts it out there and goes, I don't know. I I don't know, but I do kind of. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, well, go get your act together and come back when you know who you're talking to. When you got your act, like you really believe. No, I think he's like, thanks for being honest. And thanks for coming to me with it because I'm going to heal it right now. Cast the demon out of that boy. I share that story because I think our prayer today might really just need to be, ah, Lord, I believe, okay, I do. Help me overcome my unbelief. Those spots I don't know about. Now, when, in Matthew in this story, the way Jesus ends this particular story is with this. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. God wants us to believe that nothing is impossible for him and to happen in your life. Now, this idea of a a leap of faith is not a biblical concept. God is not asking you today, for whatever that situation you put on your heart was, for a leap of faith. He just wants you to bring a mustard seed. You can do that. I know you can muster a mustard seed. You know how small a mustard seed is? It's tiny. Okay, this is an the idea of is just bring bring to me what you can. I want you to be honest with me today. Can you just bring me that little, tiny, faith today, and put a little hope in a God who says I can do anything? And so I want to end today, and I just want you to maybe pray some honest prayers today. And, and this this is what that prayer can sound like. Say something like, Lord, I, I only kind of sort of believe that you can heal my broken marriage. Help me overcome my unbelief, in my pessimism, in my pain, in my in my hurt. I only kind of believe you can heal me. I don't know. I've lost hope. Help me sustain hope in this and believe I can be healed. Maybe you're thinking of this for the church. Lord, I only sort of believe we're going to come through this thing as a church and that we're going to be stronger on the other end. Help me believe, Lord, that you are in this and that we're going to come through stronger as a church on the other side of this. Lord, help me in my unbelief. And now when you pray prayers like that, anytime, just look, picture God looking down at you, smiling, going, bring that to me. I'm happy with that. and I want to work with you. So God wants, I just think he wants to do a little work on our hearts right now. So we're going to end with a song that just talks about the power of God, confirms that he is just able, that he's not done with you yet. And what I want you to do is you can stand, you can sing, you can pray, but I want you to bring that tiny little mustard seed prayer to him, bring it to him and just go, help me believe, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And just trust that God wants to do something in and through your life that you might not believe is possible right now. And then I'll come close. So let's worship him.